Amen. I'm going to stand down here if that's all right tonight. It's good to see you. If you got your Bibles, grab it because we're going to be flipping around. Uh, one of the things that I'm going to try to do on Sunday night, since we're, uh, how can we say, smaller in number but more mature in age. Okay, maybe that's not the right way to say it. Heart, thank you, wisdom. There you go, wisdom is we're going to dig into God's Word and we're going to go back and forth from Scriptures and all that. So if you will, grab it. And um, while you're turning there, uh, I just got a couple of texts. Um, and uh, I would like for us to pray for these. As I just, they just popped up while we were singing. Uh, one is an a individual who's been visiting our church. And uh, without too many details, just, just a crazy family situation. He just texted and said, uh, please be praying for me. I'm hoping that he'll get plugged in um, to our church family. Another one is uh, in the Dominican. We have, some of you know, we have college students who serve in the summer over the years um, before I was here at Crossroads. And one of the young ladies that served for many years, uh, her family all has COVID. And uh, her brother, Josh, is the worst. He's probably early 20s, I think. Uh, and is sedated right now on life support, so she just sent a text. So if we could just stop for a minute and uh, pray for those two requests, and if you have requests uh, as well, let's just lift each other up. Lord, I thank you that we can stop and we can pray and we can come to you and you listen and you hear and, uh, and you answer, sometimes the way we think you should, and, uh, but all the time the way that brings the most glory to you and the most good out of our lives, so we thank you for that. We just lift up uh, these two people to you tonight, Lord, this one who's just struggling with some family situations. I, I thank you, Lord, that they have found a place like Crossroads that's loved them, a place they feel welcome and even comfortable uh, sharing a prayer request like that, so I pray that you would give them their uh, that peace that passes all understanding tonight, bring them back to be able to fellowship with us. I also lift up uh, Emma and her family and her brother Josh to you and pray that uh, supernaturally, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would bring quick healing to her family and especially to him right now. Uh, and in the midst of what they're going through, Lord, would you be their comfort and their strength in Jesus name. Amen. Well, tonight we are going to talk about uh, uh, poverty and uh, are we poor? And I can't remember exactly the way we worded it on the questions for hot topics um, anybody remember? Are you, really are you really poor? Thank you. Are you really poor? And I kind of let the cat out of the bag last, last week and kind of told you you're not. Uh, that if you make more than $15,000 your annual income, household income in America, which we would say is poverty level, uh, you are in the top 5% of wealth on the planet. So you're not poor like uh, most of the world is poor. But uh, I wanted us to see what God's Word has to say about that. And before we dig into God's Word, again, some of you know this about me, some of you don't. Um, so I want to tell you a little bit of, of my backstory and Lynette and I, our, our backstory. And, and when you hear some of these things, and over the next few years, Lord willing, that we get to spend together, you'll understand why I have such a heart for this and I'm so passionate uh, about people who are poor and oppressed. Um, I had the opportunity long, long ago, I can't remember what it was, seems like another lifetime ago, uh, to get on the plane with about four or five other people. Uh, the first real trip out of the United States to a poverty 
stricken part of the world and go to Haiti. And I remember with these friends walking through different villages. Uh, the Dominican is bad, but Haiti is probably ten times worse than the Dominican Republic, for those of you who have been with us to the DR. Uh, and I remember walking uh, in these villages with Haiti and distributing food and diff- doing different things. And um, the first time in my life I had seen poverty. Now, I, I know, and we talked about this morning, and we'll talk about this tonight, that we have poverty in our own country. And so, again, we need to do things about poverty here at home and around the world. It's not either or. God's Word's pretty clear. It's both and. Uh, But for me, that was the first time I saw poverty. And uh, I've been to Bolivia. All all this, I'm not not bragging when I tell you these things. God's just afforded me these opportunities. And I'm very grateful. I've been to Bolivia and Haiti and uh, Mozambique and uh, Malawi and... Wherever else, I can't remember. I'm old. A lot of different places. But I remember the first place seeing poverty like I'd never seen it before was, was in Haiti. And um, I want to tell you a little bit of, about an experience I had, if I can get through it without losing it. Because when you see some of the things that you see, you're, you're, just, you're not the same. Um, and and it, it changes you. You're, you're, just, you're not ever the same. So I remember loading up in the back of this old pickup truck uh, with, a, with a ministry that was there. And we had five-gallon buckets of uh, soup and kind of a beans and rice mixture in this bucket. And we rode out, and they, and they told us, they gave us some time to kind of mentally prepare. Uh, they said, we're going to go out to this village and we're going to serve kids. So we start driving out, and it's like flat land. I mean, I thought I was like in the Mojave Desert. There was like nothing. And they had told us, you know, you're going to probably see a couple hundred kids. And I'm thinking, where, where are these kids? I don't even see anything. There's nothing out here as far as the eye can see. And finally, as we started getting closer and closer, um, it was like uh, ants almost coming out of the ground where all of a sudden you started seeing these kids get up you know, out of the dirt, some, or there was a few trees, would come out of the trees and out of the ditches and gullies, and, and they started running. And where they were running to was this makeshift shelter, kind of a, like a picnic pavilion, uh, if you will. It was an enclosure, and it had walls, and it had a little wooden, wooden door. And as we pulled up, all the kids kind of lined up. Uh, in line, and the missionary family, her husband and wife, were the ones that were going to do this this feeding. And so we got there, and uh, I don't speak Creole. That's what most of the uh, the people in Haiti speak is Creole. So there's the missionary spoke it. So they're telling the kids what to do. Meanwhile, they're telling us, "Here's your responsibility. Your responsibility is for for myself and another guy, uh, Tom Lewis. My family knows." Your responsibility, they told us, is to stand at the door, and as we tell you to let kids in, you open the door and let kids in. I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is, this is going to be easy. The other people on our team had some responsibilities, like helping put the food in little bowls and give it to the kids. And I'm thinking there were, there were probably inside this pavilion, when all was said and done, 100 kids, ages from maybe 5, 8, 9, 10 years of age. Uh, well, the youngest one was probably three. I remember a three-year-old. And so they started serving the food. Well, we're standing at the door. And so every so often, this, this lady, who was the, 
the wife of the missionary, the missionary couple, she would look at us and she would be scraping the bowl. And of course, kids are sitting on the floor. Uh, when they ran out of bowls, they, diff- they finally ran out of bowls. The kids are just doing their hands like this. And they're putting it in their hands and there's no, there's no forks, you know, there's no knives, there's no spoons. They're just, they're eating it with their hands. And so she looked at us and she said, you know, open the door. And she gave us, you know, three. Okay, we knew that open the door, let three kids in. So we let three. You know, then she'd say, okay, four. And we'd let four in. So she's scraping, scraping, scraping. Finally, she says, okay, two more. So we open the door and we're, we're kind of standing holding it because the kids, I mean, just, just imagine the American kids aren't any different. If you were handing out, you know, popsicles in the summertime and told them to stand in line, they're going to be pushing and shoving. So we're trying to hold the door. And so um, she looks over at us. She says, okay, let two, let two more in. Well, the next two in line was a, probably, he was probably uh, five and then a little three-year-old and probably six-year-old. Well, the five-year-old goes in. The six-year-old kind of pushes the three-year-old. We found out later it was his little, little brother pushes in. And then she looks up and she says, one more, one more. So we open the door and we let the other brother come in to get food. And we shut the door. And so I'm looking at her like, okay, what, you know. And she's like looking at me like, there's, there's, there's no more food. We're out of food. And so the kids are pushing on the door trying to get in. And I'm looking through the cracks in this wooden door, looking at this long line of kids that are still there hungry. And this was, uh, man, I might have been 30 maybe, 29, 30. I, I lost it. I start screaming and hollering. I'm, I'm like, we've got to go to the truck. We've got to go. There's the hungry kids right here. We've got to get more food. We've got to get more food. And she's like, that's, that's all the food we have. We're out of food. I said, so when is it going to be that we come back through here to feed these kids? And she said, a week, maybe 10 days before we're back through here. Now, I, I tell you that because, and, and over the next years, you know, I'll share more of those stories. That's just one. But when I got on the plane to come home after seeing that, um, I wasn't the same. Uh, it's hard for me now, uh, and, and my family helps me with this processing. It's hard for me now to even go out of the country and not come back home, uh, or, or come back home and not be... Um, upset, uh, or not even sometimes, if I'm not careful, get angry uh, at us because we have so much stuff. I remember hearing a kid on a trip some one time years ago come down to the Dominican and you know, had seen something similar. It was just like, I can't understand. Why in the world was I born in the United States and these kids were born here? Great question. You can ask God that one day when you get to see him face to face. We don't know. Um, so that's kind of the backdrop, if you will, for us to kind of look at and, and think about poverty. The, we, we have poverty here, of course, again, in America. We have poverty in Greer, Simpsonville, Malden. Uh, I think it was earlier in the week I rode over to Walmart 
on Woodruff Road to grab some things. And I had kind of cut through the McAllister's Deli right there, if you know where that is, through that parking lot. And right behind McAllister's Deli is a little forest and some ditches. And I watched as a sheriff's deputy was escorting a homeless guy out of there who looked like he was somebody I might see in Haiti or the Dominican. So poverty is all around us. Um, what, do we, what do we do about it? That's what we want to talk about tonight. There are 210 verses, 210, at least in the NIV translation of the Bible, that use the word poor or oppressed. And one of the questions that the lost world oftentimes will ask in their uh, attempt to justify believing that there's not a God is if there was a God, why would he let people be on the earth and starve to death? If there was a God, why would he allow people to be on the earth and be hungry? Great question. It's a great question. We're going to look at a little bit of that uh, tonight. Here's what we know from God's Word. If you've got your Bible, kind of flip to the middle. And uh, you should open somewhere around the book of Psalms. There's a couple of verses I want us to look at. And again, we're going to be flipping around a lot, so uh, you can look for yourself or trust that what I'm reading is the right one, right scripture. But Psalm chapter 12, verse 5, uh, David is writing here, and here's what he says. Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord, I will set him in the safety for which he longs. So the Lord promising that he is going to deliver those that are afflicted, those that are poor. Keep flipping to the right, Psalm 140. And I'm just going to show you a few of these. There's a lot more, but for sake of time tonight, Psalm 40, 140, I'm sorry, Psalm 140, verse 12. I know the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous will give thanks to thy name. The upright will dwell in thy presence. And then if you want to flip over to the New Testament, the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 1, verses 52 and 53. This is Mary talking. She's quoting the Old Testament. And she says in verses, uh, Luke chapter 1, 52, 53... He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. So, those, those are just, just a few. We're going to look at some in James again uh, or in, in a little bit. But here's what I know from those couple verses and a lot more, the 200 plus that talk about poor and the oppressed. I know that God loves all people equally. But, there's a special place in his heart for the poor. Matter of fact, uh, somebody shared this verse with me when I was standing in the garbage dump in the Dominican Republic. And depending on what translation you read, it's in uh, 1 Samuel. If you want to flip to 1 Samuel, you can. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8 says, he raises up the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage heap. So, God is aware of the poor. 
God has a special place in his heart for the poor and the oppressed. And some people might say, well, does that mean he's against the rich? Well, he's not necessarily against the rich. But there's all kinds of scriptures that we know where, uh, through the Gospels and through a lot of Paul's letters, where he talks about, uh, you know, even, even James talks about how money can cloud our judgment and get us off course. Isaiah, if you want to flip to Isaiah chapter 10... A lot of flipping around tonight. I love hearing the rustling of the pages or the click-click of the Bible app. Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Here's what Isaiah the prophet said. Woe to those who enact evil statutes and to those who constantly record unjust decisions. Now listen to this, so as to deprive the needy of justice and rob the poor of my people of their rights in order that widows may be their spoil and that they may plunder the orphans. So what's he saying? We actually talked about this uh, in the book of Mark, toward the end of the book of Mark, when uh, we talked about how some of the religious people were taking advantage, remember, taking advantage of the widows and the poor. And that's kind of what Isaiah is reminding us of here. So God is not against the rich, but here's what God is against. Two things. He's against the poor and the oppressed being exploited. And that happens all the time. And it happens in the third world and it happens here in the first world. And he is against uh, us not only exploiting the, the poor and the oppressed, but neglecting the poor and the oppressed. If you look at Ezekiel, and you can look at, maybe write it down if you want, Ezekiel 16 sometime, it talks about how Sodom and Gomorrah were, were destroyed for the reasons that we talk about, immorality and all those things that we talk about, sexual depravity and all that. But one of the other reasons that God lists in His Word in the book of Ezekiel, one of the reasons they were destroyed is they had excess and they were prosperous. And Ezekiel chapter 16 says they did not aid the poor. So the two things that we know about what God says about the rich are he does not want them to exploit or to neglect the poor. Now, why is that important? It's important because a few Sunday nights ago we talked about politics. And one of the reasons that Christians, and we said this that, that Sunday night if you were here, one of the reasons that Christians should get into politics, I'm not talking about being political like in discussion, but I'm talking about in the field of politics. The reason we need Christians and Bible believers and Christ followers in politics is because a lot of the things that are set up will either help the poor or will exploit the poor. So that's why we should have a role in things like politics. Not necessarily to get our party to win, but to, if you, if you read, you think about, this has been, gosh, has it been a year ago when our church went through the book of Nehemiah? If you remember, Nehemiah went to the rulers, he went to the people, he went to the, some of the business people that day who were trying to exploit the poor, and he said, that's not right. So how do we treat those then? These people, this group of people, 
the poor and oppressed that Jesus has a special place in his heart for, how do we as the church, how should we, how should we treat them? Well, let's look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Hebrews, like a Bible drill tonight, isn't it? James chapter 2, verse 14. Here's what James says. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Then he gives an example to answer his question. For brother or sister is without clothing... And in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. So what's he saying? He's he's saying, and Paul says this in Second Corinthians as well, that our job as believers to treat those who God has a special place in his heart for the poor and oppressed. Our role is to embrace compassion for those people and justice for those people. Desire justice for those people. Caring for the poor is uh, it, it's akin to serving God. It's a way that we can serve God. Proverbs says it this way, Proverbs 14, 31, if you want to jot that down. Those who oppress the poor insult their maker. So loving God and loving our neighbor are not two separate things. They are, but they're really one side, two sides of the same coin. If we are to love God, we have to love our neighbor. And so Jesus is trying to get across the point, or James here in this passage is trying to get across the point, uh, that our job is to go and to actually do something. So just say, go and be filled. Now, I, now I know practically, let's, let's just bring it home and think about it practically. Practically, that's hard. Because when you go over to Walmart and you pull around to that long line at the red light and you try to get out of Walmart, and you could just you know pull up a TV show on your Netflix on your phone and probably watch two or three episodes of a show before you finally get the green light because there's so much traffic... Usually there's somebody standing there with a sign. And if you're like me, I have a lot of different reactions to that. Sometimes it's, I saw him here last week. Sometimes it's, I saw him here last week and I followed him and I watched him get into a Cadillac, you know, Bonneville or whatever and drive away, you know. Depending on if you're one of those people who likes to do that. So we can have a lot of different reactions. Uh, and people often ask me, okay, what, what, do you, what do you do when you see those kind of people? You know, do you not help them or do you help them or what do you do? Oh, that I could give you a great answer to that question. The only one that I have, and it's going to sound like, you know, a cop-out is that's where you have to be really in tune to the Holy Spirit and listen to what Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, tells you to do. I don't think... I've, I've never uh, helped somebody like that and walked away going, wow, I hurt God's feelings. 
So you have to kind of decide, do you err on the side of helping, even if they didn't need it, or do you drive on by? That's a hard, that's a hard decision. And unfortunately, we live in a country, uh, in the first world, a lot of times people take advantage of you, and, uh, you know, you, you've read it, you've seen it on the news, so uh, I have two where guys do that, and they make probably more than some of us make annually by just standing on the side of the bridge with a sign, so... We have to ask for the Lord's discernment. And unfortunately, what I would say, based on what God's Word says, is that is a person, if, if that person does that, that is a person that is exploiting the poor. Because they're not, but they're pretending to be. So what they do is, for those of us who have good hearts and we want to help the poor, we're less likely to do that because maybe we've been taken advantage of. And I have. I've been taken advantage of. Lynette and I, I guess it was a month or so ago, we went to the mountains for a getaway just one, one night or two up in Asheville. And we were coming to the exit, and here's this guy. I'll brag on, I'll brag on her, because I wasn't going to give him squat. I'll be honest. I wasn't going to give him anything. I just didn't. And the Holy Spirit, I was praying. I said, Lord, if I'm supposed to give him something, you tell me. She did. She rolled down the window. Well, she didn't. Kids, this is how we used to roll down the window. <laughs> sorry. Now you just go, you know, sorry. Actually, I, well, never mind. All right. So I, she rolled down the window and uh, reached out and gave him money. And then we had to run to the, was it Publix supermarket, two blocks over. So she goes into Publix. I let her go in. I sit outside and wait. Here this guy comes. Crossed the parking lot, had his backpack, had rolled up his, his display of everything that he had. I would say to make it look like he was needy, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. But as she's, going, as she's inside, I'm just sitting there watching and he kind of walked through and then he, made, he, he had a cell phone. Can't buy a hamburger, but he's got a cell phone. Uh, and so he made a call to somebody and then he started after lot. so I just said, okay, I'm going to follow him. So I... I followed a couple blocks, and then he got to the next intersection, and he took his backpack off and rolled off his display. And So I don't know. I don't know if he was legit or not. I don't know. Some people who have cell phones are poor. You know, everybody's got phone. In the Dominican Republic, even, we know everybody's got a cell phone. And you're like, how in the world can you have a cell phone, but you can't hardly eat? Everybody has cell phones. I, I've, I have said before, if the cell phone companies... McDonald's and Coca-Cola could all strive together with some strategy to feed the lost and hungry people of the world. They'd all be fed because McDonald's is everywhere, Coca-Cola's everywhere, and cell phones are everywhere. It's a crazy world. So how do we respond? How do we respond? Let's look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 4. So if you're still in James, flip backwards to Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 4. We'll look at verse 16 through 21, uh, lest you and I forget why Jesus came. Jesus did not come. This would be a good comment maybe to say on a Sunday morning, so remind me some Sunday morning. Jesus did not come to make us better. Jesus came to make us new. We're, he did not come to help us with a self-improvement plan. 
He came to totally recreate us and be a new, new creature, a new creation. And so he, he says that in these verses, or Luke tells us in these verses, this is kind of the announcement of Jesus' ministry, who he is and what's, what he's going to do. Verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and was his custom, entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, stood up to read, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. So here's what Jesus is reading basically about himself. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So that's why Jesus came. So what, what can we do? How can we, how should we respond Flip over to uh, Matthew chapter 26, if you can. Matthew 26. Just a couple more verses, and then I'll kind of give you some practical things. Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. Some of you know this story. This is when Jesus was at Bethany. He's at the, uh, the home of Simon the leper. The woman comes out with this alabaster uh, bottle of perfume, and... Pours it all over his feet and our wonderful disciples who often didn't know what they were talking about uh, said, why in the world would you waste this perfume? Verse 9, this perfume could have been sold for a high price of money and the money given toward the poor. And here's Jesus' answer. Why are you bothering this woman? Because she has done a great Deed, a good deed to me, for the poor you will have with you always, but you do not always have me. So let's talk about that sentence for a while because that bothers me. Anytime God's word bothers you and you think it's wrong, you're wrong because it's right. So even though it bothers me, it bothers me because Jesus is basically saying, the poor are always going to be here. Now, there's a couple reactions we can have to that. And in modern day Christianity, these are pretty much the, the two reactions I see. One reaction is, well, it's futile. It's a lost cause. If you're always going to have poor people, hungry people, starving people, what's the use? It's, it's just futile. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to trust God just to do whatever, and I'm not going to make an attempt to do anything. I don't think that's why Jesus is saying you're going to always have the poor with you. If you study the whole passage, if we had time and you read the whole passage, I think Jesus is saying this to the disciples. His words are meant not to say that it's futile to help the poor people. His words are meant to say there is an urgency to go out and help people who are poor and who are oppressed. It was supposed to kind of fuel them to go out and actually do something. Um... If you remember, we, we studied this passage too briefly when we went through Mark. If you remember, the disciples had an opportunity basically to, to uh, live out what Jesus is challenging them here with when they saw the crowd of people who were hungry, the 5,000, and they were hungry, and Jesus is like, you need to get them something to eat. And they were like, well, we don't have anything to eat. So Jesus had to use a little boy who had more faith than the disciples. Because they just like, well, there's too many people. There's no way we can feed them all. We'll give up. And that's the reaction 
uh, of a lot of churches in, in America, in our world, well, there's just too many problems. There's too much of this or that. So we'll just lean back and we'll just do nothing. I, I am so thankful this is not one of those churches. We can't save the world. We can't reach the world. But we can reach our world that God has put in front of us. The connections God has put in front of us, we can reach those people, whether it's here, whether it's the connection we have really because of me, the Dominican, the connection we now have in West Virginia because of Pastor Jim. God orchestrates those connections where we get off base as we think we've got to reach everybody. No, you reach the people and take care of the people that God has connected you with because God will connect other people to the other people that need help. So we can respond like a lot of the world does and just think it's a lost cause, I'll give up. But that's not the response. What should our response be? Let me give you seven quick things I I think the Bible teaches us and I'll give you some verses uh, to go with them. And if we have time, we'll stop and look at a few of these. Here's the first response. Practice hospitality. Proverbs. Let me look at this one because I think this is a good one. Proverbs chapter 31, I think I get this right, Proverbs 31, verse 20, the Proverbs 31 woman says, she extends her hand to the poor and stretches out her hands to the needy. So practically, I want to give you some practical things hopefully we can do as, as a church and individuals to help the poor and and or oppressed. And there's, there's a lot of different kinds of poverty. There's a lot of different kinds of poor people. There's financially poor. There's physically poor. There's materially poor. There's emotionally poor. There's spiritually poor. There's a lot of different kinds of poverty. We have people who come, who are coming, who are visiting our church, who are emotionally poor, spiritually poor. They may be filthy rich, but they're still poor. So we have to kind of understand, so a lot of times we think about poverty and poor, and our minds automatically go to financial poverty. There's a lot more kinds of poverty than, than that. And one of the things I think we can do practically is to make, and I love about our church, we do this, is to make all people feel welcome. One illustration is that, that I'm, I'm praying our church does in the next one, two, three, four, five years, is that those of us who feel led start to open up our homes. We have small groups here in our church, and Sunday school small groups here in our church are people who come here. That's great. That's great. But, but I will tell you, the Sunday, since you're the Sunday night crowd, I will tell you that's, that's level one as far as spiritual growth and maturity. Level two is where you say, okay, I'm doing that with my church people, now I'm going to do that with my neighbors, some of which might be Christians and some might not be, for them to feel a place of, of hospitality and a, our church says it this way, a shelter, a refuge where they can come if they are emotionally poor, spiritually poor. So we can practice hospitality. We've talked about, our staff has prayed about this. Uh, I've been, Lynette and I have been praying about this for years. Our church is a multi-generational church. I love that. 
my prayer is that the next level our church will become is a multicultural church. Well, how do you do that? You do that by opening up where you, where you dwell, where you live, where you work, where you play, where you shop, opening up yourself and practicing hospitality with other people who may be emotionally poor, physically poor, financially poor, spiritually poor. So that's one way that we can do it. So I would encourage you uh, to pray about doing that. Um, Number two, uh, we can share our resources. Our church, again, does fantastic at, at giving. And not just financial resources, but there are a lot of other ways we can share resources, not just financial. You may know this, that in the Old Testament, uh, every third year, I think it is, the people's tithes went to support widows and orphans. So... Every third year, it wasn't about supporting the work of the temple work and what was happening right there. It was to support the widows and the orphans because they desired to share resources. Number three, empower self-sufficiency. I have a friend of mine who says it this way, and I love this, and he does a lot of work in the third world. It's true in the third world. It's also true in the first world. Maybe more true in the first world. But not a handout, but a hand up. So if we're going to help people, and by the way, you need to know this. Our church, we have, most of you know this, but if not, uh, we have a missions budget. We help people around the world, and we help people right here within a 5, 10 mile radius of this church financially. We help people who need their power bill paid for. We do uh, some of those people consistently. Why do we do that? We do that because we're trying to be the kind of people that God wants us to be, and what He tells us to be. And some of the times, some of the people that we're helping, uh, we're trying to move them towards self-sufficiency, not a handout, but a hand up. And you and I know that we can, we can do this again in the third world, we can do it in the first world. We can give people money to where we just become their ATM machine, and they never have to learn how to be self-sufficient. That's not helping the the poor. That's actually enabling wrong behavior. And so we've got to think about how we can do that. One of my questions I wrote down to myself this week is, what things can we create at Crossroads to empower people to be self-sufficient? I don't know what that is. Some of you have skills that I don't have. I mean, if we had somebody come by the church who was needed food, but they have a house and they have land how cool would it be to be able to say i know we're going to give you some food we're going to give you a 50 dollar bilo card well food line card to go get some groceries but we have a couple people in our church that since you got a plot of land behind your house we're going to teach you how to plant your own food that's helping people have a, a hand up not a handout so just a thought i'm open to great ideas that you probably have that can help us do that number four uh, here's something we can do, our response, invest in development. Isaiah 58 says it this way, that the church uh, community, our church community, Isaiah 58 says, should be a repairer of the breach, a restorer of the streets. I like that. 
So in all the things that exist in our community, I think about things like our schools, obviously. I think about our uh, local government. I think a lot about our police and fire department people. Um, what could we do to invest in them? And Because investing in them helps our community be more healthy. And if our community is more healthy, they're going to be more attuned to uh, the work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. So I don't know what that looks like for our church. The first part of that is the transformation of self. Here's, here's kind of what I mean by this. Maybe this will help us. There are some ministries um, that help in third world countries. And some of them will fly in and out of a helicopter or airplane, they'll kick out boxes of food and, and food will land there. Great. There are some organizations that will go into a poverty-stricken area and they'll share the gospel and then they'll leave. Great. The Bible teaches, I think, and people have to follow their own calling, so I'm not throwing rocks at either one of those, but the Bible teaches that it's not either or, it's both and if you are a Christian. So you can't go in and really see transformation happen in someone's life just by helping them, for example, I use this only because I know it, uh, going into the Dominican Republic and teaching a kid how to sow and not sharing them with them about Jesus is only giving them half of what they need. Equally, you can't go to them and go, well, I know you're poor and you can't eat and you're starving to death, but just like the scripture said, but Jesus loves you, see ya. So you have to do both. That's kind of what Isaiah, I believe, is talking about when it says repair of the breach, restore of the streets. Number five. I got three more and then we'll be done. Number five. Uh, practically, here should be our response. Promote justice. Uh, Proverbs says it this way. Speak out for those who cannot speak for themselves. And again, one reason to be involved in politics is to try to help make things like that uh, happen. Psalm 72. I think, if, I think if I wrote it down correctly. Psalm 72. Yeah, the whole, the whole psalm is talking about, uh, in this royal psalm, this is Solomon, is talking about dealing with governments and kings and how to speak out for, uh, for justice. Now, here, here's the thing, and you young people, this is for you. Here's the thing that I would caution us against. In our world right now, there's this huge cry for social justice. That can be good and that can be bad. Where it tends to be bad right now is we, we want to highlight the injustices on people, but we don't, as I said a minute ago, we don't want to make sure we include the gospel. And it's both. If government and society uh, fail to uphold justice, then who's going to hold them accountable? We as God's people should be the ones holding them accountable. I mentioned earlier the prophets confronted the political leaders. You can read about that in Isaiah. Uh, Nehemiah mentioned the business leaders. Jesus confronted those who exploited the poor. You remember in the book of Mark, I think we talked about where Jesus went in and he got angry in the temple. And he got angry in the temple because they were charging people exorbitant prices to get a clean dove or a clean sacrifice. And they were taking advantage of the poor. They were exploiting the poor. Number six, I like this one. I don't know how we enact this one. 
Um, number six is strive to break the cycle. There are, I believe, the Bible teaches, we don't talk about this much in churches, unfortunately, but I believe the Bible teaches there are generational curses. There are behaviors that have been allowed to, you know, live out in families that have been passed down generation, 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 because nobody's ever stood up and said, no, that's wrong, or we don't need to do that anymore, or somebody, maybe even from the outside, some force, some person, uh, the Holy Spirit, has not stepped in or been allowed to step in to break the cycle. <clears throat> and we have to do our part to help break the cycle. Again, even if we have people come by uh, the church who have a need, um, and we're, we're figuring that out, I think, um, how do you sit down with them and find out enough that you can help them break the cycle? Well, that's actually part of discipleship. It's part of ministry versus just here's a card and go hit the supermarket. Every seven years, some of you know this, in, uh, in the Old Testament days, they had this thing called the year of Jubilee. Any of y'all ever heard that before? Every seven years. And they would cancel everybody's debt. Don't you wish they still did that? <laughs> it's this year. Guess what? No more mortgage. No more car payment. All your debts are paid. Nice, clear, and, you're clear and free. Hallelujah. Wouldn't that be awesome? Every 50th year, the land was returned to the original landowner. Now, I, I don't know as much about all that as I should. But here's what I do know, and it'd make a great study sometime for us to go through as a church. Here's what I do know. The reason that they did that, according to God's plan, is because he wanted society to be structured in such a way that it would give each generation the change to break free from bondage of the past. So, in other words, it was... And there's rumors of this coming in our country, but the way it's, they're talking about now it doesn't sound too good to me. But the word, wording is kind of similar. It was a reset. So every three years, uh, every seven years rather, was the year of Jubilee. And every 50th year is when they would give all the uh, land back to the original owners. Uh, all that is simply to me saying this. Somehow we have to, as Christ followers, figure out when God gives us the opportunity to engage with someone who's struggling with poverty, all kinds, and sometimes the other kinds that aren't financial, emotional, spiritual, psychological, all the other kinds of poverty, still need somebody to step in and break the cycle. And that's our role as Christ followers. One of the prayer requests I share with you tonight, the reason that individual has been visiting our church is because somebody, something happened and somebody that I believe God allowed this person to meet stepped in the way and interrupted this cycle that was going on. And all of us sometimes need somebody or something Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to, to break the cycle. Last one. Um, 
this is pretty clear. This is a practical thing all of us can do. And this is uh, to share the good news with the poor. Again, if you go back to James. I love James. Or actually, I think I mentioned to you we're going to be going through the book of James this summer. James chapter 2, verse 5. James says it this way. Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? And heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. Now let me back up for just a second. And go back to the stories I share with you at the beginning. The people that I've had the privilege to meet. And all those countries and their faces are coming to my mind even as I'm sharing with you. All those people. Though they are poor. If I had one fraction of a fraction of a fraction of 1% of the faith they have. Wow. Wow. Our directors in the Dominican that lead the mission down there. We help Daniel and Yudith Solares when they came to the Dominican uh, 10 years ago almost. Uh, they left Mexico. They felt like God said, go to the Dominican. They packed their bags and they went to the Dominican. Almost like Abram, when God said go, and Abram packed up his family and went. Didn't ask a lot of questions. They didn't ask a lot of questions. They landed on the northern coast in the Dominican Republic. <clears throat> and uh, found a little uh, hut. They didn't have a lot of pesos. Um, didn't have any money. Didn't know what they were going to do. This is long before our work down there that we have. But they share this story, and every time they share it, it just rattles me to the core. And, and if he was sharing it, I would be weeping in front of you guys. I'm hoping they're going to come to the States sometime in the next year, and you get to, to meet them, for those of you who haven't been down. But they tell the story that uh, Judith, Judith shares this story that they were in their little, in their little block home, uh, four-room little home there in one of the villages, and they were just trying to seek what God wanted to do. So they started praying. They started fasting. Their one child they had at the time, they have three now. Their one child that they had at the time, Danielito, who was uh, three or four years old, um, was hungry. They had no food in the house. And she said that she sat down at the table and she started praying. And she just said, God... Daniel and I, her husband, she said, Daniel and I are happy to fast... We'll, we will seek your face and listen to you and do what you want us to do. But our three-year-old needs to eat. So you got to do something. So here he comes at the kitchen table and says, Mom, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And she said, sit down right there, we're going to eat. And he's like, well, there's, there's no food. And she said she sat at the table, put out the silverware and everything for them to eat. She said, we're going to sit down and we're going to pray. Sat down and she started praying. She said, God, I pray that you would, you would send us food. My son needs to eat. She said, about that time, there was a little knock on their, their little door. She goes to the door. The Dominican lady standing there. Says, hey, I've got this bowl of rice and some beans. God told me to bring this over. Said you guys were hungry. But he told me this is not for you or your husband. This is for your little boy. 
I wish I lived like that. I really do. Those are the people who see miracles. Those are the people whose faith, faith is explosive. Those are the people who God says, do this, and they're like, okay. Those are the people who God says, I want you to jump from this cliff to that cliff, and there's no bridge. And they go, okay, and they start walking, and as soon as they put their foot out, all of a sudden there's this bridge that appears. I, I want to be like that. I'm far from that, but I want to be like that. So God's called us to share the good news with the poor. You, you probably know this verse. It's the most often quoted verse in the Bible that most of us who are Christians know. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's another John three sixteen, And I like this one uh, almost as good as that one. Maybe you've heard this one before. It's 1 John 3.16. Here's what it says. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what real love is. That Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need... And closes his heart against him. How can the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in, with deed and in truth. So, for me, and I know my experience is different than most of us. But when you have stood at a door and you shut it. On a couple of hundred hungry kids that are starving. And then you read scripture like that. It's like a no-brainer for me. It's like I don't even have to think about it. Why would I hesitate? Especially again when compared to 95% of the world, I'm filthy rich. So are you. May look at your bank account and say, eh, <laughs> you don't know my bank account. I'm not that rich. America's terms, maybe not, but God's terms, we are. So I pray that over the next years, God will give us as a church family uh, the opportunity to speak up for those that can't speak for themselves and to help those who need help. And there are some in our church that fit that description, and there are some in West Virginia, and some in the Dominican, and some right here in our communities. So uh, I would ask that you pray with me that God would divinely connect us with the opportunities that he wants us as a church uh, to be involved in. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you that we are rich in Jesus. We're rich financially just because we're here in the United States of America. And I believe, God, that even though we're not poor, that these friends in this room are not just financially rich, but we're also rich in you. And God, I, I don't know what you have in store for us over the next year, two, three, four, five years. I don't know. But I pray, God, that you would bring those 
a situation, circumstances, people, relationships. God, we can, uh, not that we can just put our fingerprint as Crossroads Church on, but more importantly, we can put the fingerprint of Jesus on. And people would come to know you. Lord, I thank you for the opportunities you give us right here in this community. I thank you for the people who feel compelled to come by uh, and feel like this is a safe place where they can come by the church office even during the week and just be honest and say, I have a need. Would you help us to steward those uh, connections and those responsibilities in a way that would bring honor to you? Lord, there may be people in our own church, there may be people in our Sunday school class, our small group, that are hurting financially and maybe even find themselves at the level of poverty where they need help. Lord, I I pray that you would help them to be transparent enough just to say, I need help. Because I know the heart of our church family is to help people. And I thank you for that. Lord, give us an opportunity this week, practically, to live out uh, the command that you give us to help the poor and the oppressed. Whether that's giving the guy at the stop sign who says he's hungry and we have to Take it at face value and allow your Holy Spirit to lead us, whether it's giving him $5 or whether it's somebody in our neighborhood, somebody at our workplace that needs to be encouraged by you. God, I pray too that you would help us to realize that there are a lot of different kinds of poverty. There may be some people that we work with who are emotionally poor. No doubt all of us, every single one of us in this room knows somebody who's spiritually poor. Help us to be the light of Jesus this week. Thank you for these friends. Thank you again for what you're doing in our church. We give you glory for it and give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, just a couple of really quick announcements. Uh, If you are interested in our West Virginia uh, uh, trip and outing and information, you can see um, uh, Pastor Jim uh, if you want information on that. Our... um, our, uh, uh, is that the best way just to catch up catch up with you on that? Or, or Lewis, okay. Okay, good. Okay, good. So if you'll connect with one of those two, we'll get you information on that. Our golf tournament uh, fundraiser for the student ministry is coming. So if you hadn't signed up, then uh, you can check with Heath and he'll get you signed up for that. Uh, we will not have Wednesday Bible study this week, right? Is that? Okay. Okay, all right, so we'll have it this week, and we'll give you an update on when we'll start up again. We'll take a, a, a little break there. Uh, I'm looking over this, make sure I'm remembering everything. All right, I think I got it all. If you didn't get one of these this morning, grab one. They're back there at the back, all right? Thank you. Love you guys. Have a great week. God bless you.